Welcome to Mental Health Film Comment. This is Brian here with you. The 2018 film Ben is Back concerns uh, mother uh, Holly, played by Julia Roberts, and her efforts to save her son uh, Ben, played by Lucas Hedges. Uh, joining us today to talk about many of the themes uh, addressed in the film is Lynn McLaughlin, author of the best selling book, Jackson. Um, Lynn, thank you so much for being here today. I, I appreciate it. It's my honor, Brian. Thank you for having me. Um, I, I do want to mention um, a couple of resources uh, up front. I know that there are uh, just a, a couple different uh, crisis text lines available, depending on where you are in the world. I know in the U.S. there is a crisis text line. You can text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741. In the U.K., you can text SHOUT, S-H-O-U-T, to 85258. And depending upon where you are in the world, uh, check your local listings as they say. But uh, Lynn, also you had said uh, prior to going on, Mike, you, you, there were some other resources that... Yeah, yeah. thank you for asking. I've done, uh, I've done a search worldwide, actually, because my whole premise in writing um, Jackson is about mental illness, mental health, and family. So on my website, and we can share those links later, I have found, um, I've linked crisis lines for uh, globally around the world and some critical resources for mental health from the United States, United Kingdom and Canada. And I'm always adding, if anybody has another suggestion, that's something that's research evidence-based to add to the site, I'm happy to do so. But um, having it all in one place, I find when I speak to people who are searching, sometimes it's really hard for them. And you don't want to have to spend 15 minutes searching for a phone number when you're in crisis. So anyone's welcome to go to lynnmclaughlin.com and it's all there. Absolutely. Thank, thank, thank you for that. And like, we, we definitely do want to emphasize resources and help available. Um, now, I, I, I had mentioned to you uh, prior to um, recording, and I'd mentioned to some other people, and now just just between us and however many of our, of our closest friends listening, <laughs> um, I, th and this would be the first podcast being recorded after a, what turned out to be a um, three would have been three days maxed out at three days um panic attack that had me in uh, urgent care on um earlier this week so um there's a, a lot in your book jackson that resonated with me um and i would imagine there would be many people out there as, as well who would would find um you know um, an entry point in a way and this is that sort of book where there's different people who are reading it, whether it's, you know, the parent or whoever it is, they always, you know what I mean? Like a, like a different entryway into the, into the story and the, the anxiety that was sort of at the time that I was looking at it, like that it, it was just close proximity to, um, so I guess, so I guess I'm, I'm happy to have you on here. Like I said, the, the, the timing of this in relation to the panic attack and, and whatnot is, just everything's perfectly lined up, so to speak. Well, thank you for sharing that, Brian, because there's so many of us that are experiencing, not just because of the pandemic, it's certainly tenfold now, but we're all experiencing something in some way. 
Uh, many people don't think there's an issue whatsoever until there's a trigger or something. And you had a panic attack. I think the most important thing for you to find out was what was the trigger? What was the cause, right? Because I'm sure when you were in the midst of that, based on my experiences uh, in, in my own life with people I love, you, you don't realize it's a panic attack. You think, you think you're, it's your heart. You think it's, you know, it's, it's terrifying at the time and you want to prevent that from happening again. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, Ben is back is obviously a film with, as with any film, uh, d- d- dramatic license and screenplay and, and the, the various, you know, assortment of uh, liberties that are taken with a, a screenplay and a film. Um, how how much of that would you say is consistent with with your experiences? I know obviously some of the some of the movie itself would not be, but how much of the of of the themes and and, and the topics in the film? Because um, there because when I was reading um, Jackson, there was a little more than a little overlap. Mm-hmm. I would agree. I was totally uh, drawn in to Ben is back and, you know, Julia Roberts, that's one thing, but yeah. because, because I felt as though I was alongside her, all, although her son, the, the biggest challenge she was having was addiction. He, you know, showed up for Christmas Eve, a big surprise, but that conflicting emotion that she was feeling all through the film is exactly what parents uh, feel when their children are struggling. And we could talk about mental illness, we can talk about physical health, we can talk about all those things. But that conflict, you go from joyous, because there's been, you know, a, something that's been successful, or they found their way in one way, and then terrified, because you're afraid of what's going to happen when they walk through that door, or when you open the door. It, it, so this, this constant up and down is, is what you know, Ben is back, absolutely, I related to and And that's what you see in Jackson, too, because it, my, my book tells the perspective from two different main characters. June is the mother. And although the book is fictional, it is based on real life experiences. And I would say 50% of it is myself as a parent and my daughter. And the rest are experiences from people around me that I've spoken to as an educator for 31 years, professionally, et cetera. So that up and down in that movie is exactly what you experience when, you're, when your child, your adolescent, your teenager, even your adult child is going through something in their life that you come to the realization of you cannot control. And that's so hard as a parent. It took me a long time to get to that realization. I wanted to help, to save, to say help, um, just, just as Julia Roberts is doing in that, in that film. But it comes to a point where you realize there's only so much that you can do with love and hope, but those decisions are theirs. Yeah. So I kind of went off on a tangent there, but yes, definitely, definitely uh, um, links. No worries. Now, one thing I I do want to point out for the, for those listening, I'm more than, more than aware of the irony of a a podcast called mental health film comment, where we're talking about a a book, which, (laughs) um, which is not that, terribly ironic considering that I do tend to like reading books that are easy for me to imagine being a film or uh, you know a, a TV show I, I tend to that's because it is um, like that it's not an e- there are parts of it that are not an easy read but the overall when, when I'm reading it, it's easy for me to visualize the story being told. Does that make sense? Absolutely, it does. 
and any parent out there, you know, you're always juggling, right? What we call it about, you know, this, the plates are spinning. So as much as all of this is going on with one of your children or your sister or your brother or your friend, or you're still, you still have all of this other stuff that calls you out every single day. I, I, I'd love to see it as a film. <laughs> I absolutely would. And I think, uh, and, and, you know, your question earlier about different people can relate to it. I've been to several uh, book talks and it, it's fascinating to me. One woman's husband is a business owner and she said, my husband's got to read this book because then he's going to understand what his employees, some of them are going through in their own families. Mm-hmm. You have people who have experienced something similar for themselves, for a friend, for a child, or people themselves who've got a mental illness and have found a way through and have accepted the fact that that's part of their life, but it doesn't define them. So, you know, so many people are relating to it in different ways. And I, and I didn't expect that. So that, that's a wonderful thing as a writer to get that validation. Oh, cool. De- definitely. And one um, aspect of this also that, that I want, that I did want to um, acknowledge is that, and, and I, uh, I, 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 there's something that I, I try not to mention on mic because I, I want to be, you know, considerate and, and respectful. Uh, but but I, I alluded to this um, prior to us um, recording. And that is, I, I have been making a diligent effort to better represent um, caregivers' perspective and parents' perspective and whatnot. And, and reason being is that if if we if we tell people you're not alone, w- which is true, by the way, and, that, and I do need to emphasize that that, that point, it is true. Then, at least to me, there should be you know a, a requisite follow up with that, and having different perspectives, such as a caregiver or a parent, is a pretty easy way to get you know that 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 proof that that evidence that you're not alone because it's something that not many people realize. I know that there might be some people listening who might think, oh, well, well, no, no one cares and I'm all alone. And, and you're here to, to say that you, you, you do care and that you are actively taking steps to ensure that there are resources and, and help available for people. So that's a huge part of why I, I you know, I, I, I I think having the caregivers and parents' voices is, is, is so important. It, it is a process, Brian. I will say if, if, uh, if I had been invited to do a podcast a year and a half ago, I likely would have declined. So if we, if you think of it as a caregiver, let's, when we say caregiver, let's say parent, parent just, yes. just so that, because that's what my perspective is. And that's what I can speak to. It doesn't matter what's happening with your child. You are always, always going to be in protective mode. Always, always, always. So I wrote Jackson as a fictional book for, for a lot of reasons. And part of that was to protect my child, to protect my daughter and, and whatever her story is, is hers to tell. So when we speak as caregivers, we're on that, we're kind of on that line and that what my daughter wants to share. And she does share that's hers to, that's hers to own. She, she, um, she didn't help write the book, but she certainly read the book. She gave insights to the book, other perspectives. She could see where in Jackson's character, that portrayed something she had gone through, but that that was hers to own. When I speak as a caregiver, I can speak to my experience, um, but I'm also still going to be protective. Let's be real. There are still people out there that if they, you apply for a job, let's just say, you apply for a job, you go for your job interview, for whatever reason, they discover that you have a debilitating mental illness. I'm sorry to say, but it's still a fact that is going to affect 
your job perspectives. It's real. So, you, you know, caregivers going on and speaking openly about their own loved one is, is really tricky. It's really tricky because that there's that fine line that we always, always have to cross. And the other piece is the guilt. I will tell you what that, when, when my daughter was in, her, she, it was about two years, two years of time that she was at her worst and she's doing amazing today because she's figured it all out. But when she was at her worst, I had other friends going through similar experiences. We didn't talk about it, Brian. So when- well, why didn't we talk about it? We didn't talk about it for a lot of reasons. First of all, we we're afraid of triggering our friends. I was afraid of triggering them. And also there's was this always going to be a sense and if anyone wants to correct me, I'd love to have a conversation with you of what could I have done differently? What could I have done differently? And I think there's a fear of judgment. Um, I would say a year and a half ago, when this was all happening, if I spoke about it openly and honestly, maybe three years ago, actually, now I would have been judged. Oh my goodness. She put her career first. What was really happening between those clothes behind those closed doors when there are all kinds of different reasons that we now know of. So um, I, I would give that to you in terms of the trepidation that caregivers have in, in speaking out. I've been there. It's been a journey for me, but I'm still very cautious about what I say based on personal, personal experiences with my daughter. Okay. So based upon, upon that, then it's probably not a matter of anyone being you know, rude or uncivil, but rather just, just simply having reservations to mm-hmm. share theirs. So would that, would that be? correct then that that's exactly the way i would yep that's the way i would explain it from my perspective i can only speak from my perspective but it's been a journey for me to get to the point that i can um the book really helped me having my daughter's approval to write that book really helped me and pulling in the real life experiences of many many others whose voices are also in that book because they've gone through it so because i know um and and you said you're 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 in in canada yes i am okay yeah. In the U.S., there is an organization, uh, the the um, NAMI, National Alliance on Mental Illness, which mm-hmm. um, has a you know it's kind of, kind of a hot topic. It's all, all kind of limit um, my, my my comments in that regard, um, good or bad. But one thing that has characterized NAMI to a large extent is the parent and caregiver uh, groups that are available. Um, there are different NAMI chapters um, around the country, and that is one of the uh, key programs available with different NAMI affiliates. And, and again, for those who are expecting me to rep on NAMI, I'm, I'm not, not the appropriate time or venue f- for that. That's why I just want to emphasize at the local level, um, there are a lot of uh, parents groups at, at different NAMI uh, affiliates. Yes. And we have something very, well, we have many organizations available in Canada. We have a, in Ontario, we have something called parents for children's mental health. And these are people who have lived life experiences, the center for addictions and mental health in Canada and the Canadian mental health association are two of the largest support networks. We now have, um, uh, we now have an organization of youth that has started up and I'll, I'm blanking on the name right now, but I'll find it for you where they are speaking about their own experiences and empowering others to do to, to do so. And when we hear people's real life experiences speaking for themselves, that's what's going to move that pendulum forward and and help us to continue to end this stigma and talk about it openly. Because now I'm at a place where my friends, my family, we all talk about it openly. And it is the most cathartic thing that can happen. Because when we say we're not alone, we know 
we're not alone. <laughs> true, true. Well, anxiety, at least for me, has taken, you know, many, many forms, which would probably be an understatement. It's very, you know, many, many forms, because just in the last week alone, as I mentioned, it was something going on, you know, a whole day or, or more. And I've had them where it's the, you know, the, the more acute episodic type of anxiety where where I can't stand up where I'm and there were there are parts in your book that kind of alluded to that um where you just feel like you can't stand up anymore so I've had that that episodic type of of, of panic as well and unless you you've been there a lot of people don't do not realize just how debilitating it really can be extremely debilitating and if you think you, it's not going to affect your life, and there are some people who it hasn't affected their life, they don't know anyone who's, you know, different countries in the world, different cultures and those kinds of things. But in any given year in Canada, one in five of us is going to personally uh, experience a health, a mental health problem. By the time we're 40, 50% of us have had to struggle with that. So I, I'm just going to say to people, if you haven't experienced it yet, chances are you are going to in your lifetime as you have, Brian. And, and it behooves all of us to educate ourselves and have a better understanding. And so if you don't, and you read Jackson, as you have, you can then understand how this young man is not making this up. Some people say, oh, it's a crutch. It's a crutch. You know, they just don't want to go to school. Well, <laughs> when you actually can understand what this young man is feeling and, and the demons that are speaking to him in his head and the whole process he ends up taking through denial and substance abuse and all of these things, these external factors he thinks is going to fix him. Uh, in the end, it, it, it behooves Jackson's got to figure out what he's going to do for himself. Mm-hmm. So um, once again, I think I digress, but I mean, it's real. It's going to affect every single one of us in some way during our lifetime. Please read about it. Please understand mm-hmm. it. Um, and then you'll be in a position when someone does need help or you need help. You've got some tools and some ideas on what you can do for yourself or that person. Cool. Cool. Well, um, one thing I, I definitely wanted to ask you, and this touches on, on what, what you just said, um, in the last couple of years with, with all the craziness that's that's been going on, do you feel that that environment has prompted a um, you know reconsideration and relooking at what's important, and that in turn has led to you know a more willingness to talk about this? Yes, absolutely. In every network that I belong in, and almost every, I'm a podcaster as well, Brian. So almost every podcast that I do, people have found you know, I, I, with all the, all the horrific things that have happened in this pandemic, I would say the majority of people in spite of job losses and all of the things that we've had to face in the last year have found a place of, uh, being more present, being more calm, being more in tune with themselves and, and a realization of what is important and what is not those things I used to get worked up about. I'm also a brain tumor survivor. And I tell the story in another book that I wrote in my own personal experiences, the things that sometimes we get worked up about. If you, if you look at that from a different perspective, they are piddly. They don't deserve our time or attention. So yes, I do believe, I, I do believe in the last year, uh, 15 months, I guess it has been now that it, uh, there's been a lot of reflection and, and, and I hope that we go, don't go back to the rat race that we were in before this hit us. Yeah, and I, I definitely want to, you know, do, do my part to 
increase that the, the greater understanding and that greater awareness so that people do know that. And, and just so you know, one of my pet peeves, and I don't know if you, you share this pet peeve or not, but I really do, like, I shouldn't, let me back, I don't want to backtrack, but I'll, 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 I'll just put quotes around this to be not as, um, not as um, critical of it. But I, I tend to be very, um, I guess, skeptical, maybe that would be the right word, of the various different, you know, mental health awareness month or week or whatever. And the reason I, I'm sort of skeptical of it is that it seems like there's like one day or one week or one month where all the attention's on that. And then at the end of the month or the end of the week or day or whatever, then like no one talks about it. It's it, And it's like, okay, well, people who are still living with it it doesn't go away at the end of the day or the week or the month they're still living with it um do you share that that same sense of um you know befuddlement as it were with the the seeming um you know drop off of conversation at the end of those awareness days or weeks or months well i guess to me, it's a, I'll go back to the word process again. Yeah. So, you know, we've had Bell Let's Talk now for over a decade where we have been talking openly. Again, that's a Bell Let's Talk day. Mm-hmm. But I look forward to the, to the time in our lives where we don't need a mental health awareness month or a day or a week, that it's just a regular part of our conversations, just like talking about if we have diabetes or we've had a heart attack, you, yeah. you know, it, it, is, it, it is an illness just like everything else. Yeah. But I think until we can get to the point where it is common, and we all feel comfortable speaking about it, then these awareness days are gonna continue or these awareness months are gonna continue. I think they have a place right now in, 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 in raising the understanding and the comprehension, especially now that we're moving into, as I said earlier, personalized stories that people can connect with. When you hear someone speak, and I, I, I did remember the name of that organization for youth, it's called jack.org, and they are Young Leaders Revolutionizing Mental Health. When you hear someone speak and you can connect to that person and then you find out what they did, sometimes that's the first step to, for yourself to say, that's what I'm going to try now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, I hope we can, we can stop doing these awareness months, but at the same time, I, I think there's a reason for it still. Well, yeah, I, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. See what you mean. Um, but yeah, I mean, this, this is a book when I was reading it. Um, I really easily could see it as a movie. And like I said, that's just that's just the way my, my mind works when I read a book because I uh, obviously I'm very passionate about film and, and, and good stories and um, and not just stories but but the stories with with a message and, and with, with a point and with a um, um, and I just heard a, um, this is cool because I don't do any editing there was like a little buzzing sound like right then in there which is now oh, part, I didn't hear it you know, no I didn't hear anything. Um, but cool. Um, but no, is there anything that, that I that I did not ask about that people sh- should should know about um, anxiety? I think I want to talk about mental health um, uh, uh, struggles in children. What signs uh-huh. people can watch for? And I know you can find them. Just a few things. I just want to yeah, talk about that yeah. part of the book and my uh-huh. intent in my intent in writing that. Okay. Yeah, uh, absolutely. What? Um, what would be the, the, the major warning signs that parents should, should be looking for? 
Well, that's an interesting question, Brian, because I toyed with whether or not to have that in the book. And we do go back to um, Jackson's childhood for a very key purpose. Um, if I didn't say it earlier, um, 80% of mental health issues begin in, ch in uh, childhood or adolescence. So, you know, if we can get in and be proactive and intervention and intervention looks different for every single person, we have to find out what works for them. But if we can do that at an early, early, early age, then, you know, we can possibly change that trajectory for that child. So, I mean, there's lots of places that list signs and symptoms, but some of the things that we portrayed in the book, which were real for people like Jackson, were extreme outbursts, excessive mood swings, and not just a day, not just two days. These become regular, and that's what we try to portray. When they worry so much that they, they get stomach aches or they become physically ill, right? Worrying, 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 nightmares, lack of sleep. Um, they used to be enjoying wonderful activities and no longer interested in those kinds of things. Maybe they love to go out for walks. They no longer want to go out for walks. They may have a total different opposite mood, like unusually quiet. They're sad. They're reserved. They're preoccupied or even changes in appetite. And, you know, if you see a couple of these things and you think, oh, well, yeah, okay, this is just, and we, this is what I wrote about in Jackson, what the parents did. Yeah, this is just typical. This is okay. We'll get through this. Everyone has temper tantrums. We've all heard about the terrible twos. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when it gets to the point where you're not seeing a change, you know, and we as parents are not, you, you, we only have so much, you know, knowledge ourselves. I don't, I don't think it causes any issue whatsoever to just go and get it checked go speak to your family doctor, go to see a pediatrician, start to read some things to say, oh, is there something we need to look further into? Because there's strategies and, and techniques we can teach children as early as four years of age around stress management, around dealing with anxiety. So, and actually my niece and I are writing a children's book series on it right now. <laughs> oh, very, very, very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So, yeah. And, so. and, and I like how what you're describing is a very holistic approach. In other words, not um, relying on one area of medicine specifically, but, but being open to different, um, you know, doctors. Yeah, and, and Absolutely. So. And I, you know, I learned that the hard way as a parent, because I was, I was, and this is the story I'll tell for, from my own perspective, I was, see, it's got to be cognitive behavior therapy, cognitive behavior therapy, yeah. cognitive, you know, trying to ram it down my daughter's throat. And she wanted no part of it for her own reasons. And I, I grew to respect that. But there are a growing number of personal testimonials. And you know, you've spoken to people yourself who sought a solution outside of the medical world or a combination, right? Uh, it might be meditation, mindfulness training, yoga, nutritional supplements, CBD oil, Reiki. There's there's all kinds of things where people have found varying levels of, of, of success, but the right health for each person is going to depend on a number of factors. So to me, it may be therapy. It may be a combination of something that's natural. It may be one or the other, but the first step is to try to figure that out for yourself and not, not be of the mindset that I've tried this and it doesn't work. I'm done. No, keep trying, keep trying until you find something. And if the medical world isn't working for you, then look to some of these alternatives. Um, oh. Spirituality is another one I should have mentioned your faith. That's, that's helping a lot of people too. Yeah, absolutely. And that is, and, and the, the um, spirituality and the faith part of it is something that I've been very um, open to getting represented on, on the podcast, because mm -hmm. I, I don't, at least my personal opinion is I don't see it being acknowledged as widely as, again, for me that, that I think it should be. And again, it's, um, I, I like to, I like to provide options and, and choices and that's one of the mm -hmm. things like if someone's 
going through, you know, what, what I went through and, and sense of powerlessness, um, the, the opposite of that is seeing choices and seeing options. And so that's why, I th that's part of the reason why I, why I like to have just a, you know, a wide range of perspectives and options so people know that whatever they might think is, is it, that there's always going to be more than what they're looking at. Well, I will send you a name. Actually, I'll say it on air. I think she'd appreciate her name is Violet Dietrich. And uh, she has experienced several suicide attempts and has found faith and is now helping other business owners and other people struggling through her faith. Um, and I, I interviewed Violet a few weeks ago. So she would be one. And I'll send you her contact information, Brian. Okay, cool. Cool. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. Um, now, um, as we wind down, I, I do want to mention a, a few more resources um, out there. It, there is uh, Mental Health America, mhanational.org. There's also NAMI, National Alliance on Mental Illness, nami.org. Uh, madinamerica.com is a website that people have mentioned to me. Um, Lynn, how would people find out more about, about your, your work and, and the work you're doing? Uh, well, everything I do is really on my website. I'm on all social media platforms. I've really uh, been focusing quite a bit on Instagram, but um, it's lynnmclaughlin.com, M-C-L-A-U-G-H-L-I-N. Um, I'm, I'm up to about 70 podcast interviews. They're all there. They're archived. My books are on there. I also help people learn how to get through the publishing path to, to write their own books. I'm, I'm happy to help. All of that information is there. I have a blog. I send out a, a monthly blitz that helps people um, see what's going on and maybe find some solutions for themselves too. So yeah, have it all in one-stop shopping. Cool, cool. <laughs> and that resource page is also there. And uh, you've mentioned uh, one organization that I have not got included on that, Brian, that I'll add, I'll add this week. So good deal. Good deal. Well, thank you so much for, for being here today. I, I appreciate it. It's been my pleasure and uh, I'm happy to help anybody else. I just reach me through my website, through the contact form. Good deal. Th thank you, those of you at home or wherever you may be. Um, stay safe, everyone, and uh, talk to you next time. Uh, bye.